0: Well, good evening and welcome once again to Sojourn Community Church. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here. Please be sure to fill out the information card, the visitor card. We want to get some information from you, your name, your number, Social Security and all that stuff. <laughs> don't, don't do that. I don't want to get any emails. Just joking. But we're so glad that, and we want to be able to get you some information about what we're doing in the city and what God has called us to. So thank you for joining us. We also want to be, uh, give a shout out to those that will be listening to this via a podcast uh, from all over the world. We have missionaries that sojourn churches dispatched all over the world. And we want to say that we love you. We're thinking about you. We're praying for your families. And we can't wait uh, to be with you again and send relief to you all. And so let's give God a hand clap of praise for them and what God is doing in their life. Well, we are now continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, let's uh, do a little review. This is fruit, not fruits with an S. Only one fruit. And essentially what we're talking about is what does it look like to be a Christian? What does Christianity look like? If you are a Christian, how is that going to look? And there are different biological ingredients that make up the fruit of the Spirit, and so we are reminded of that by looking at the book of Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we won't be, uh, this is not our main text today, but we're just reviewing. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Today we're going to particularly be looking at the ingredient of goodness. What does God's word have to say about goodness? Now, in my tradition, when I say God is good, you say, and all the time, when we're talking about goodness, what we're talking about is God's goodness, and we're talking about a quality of the spirit. We're talking about the the spirit of God bearing fruit through us, because we're not talking about your goodness, we're not talking about my goodness, because my goodness ain't good enough, amen? Your goodness ain't good enough, amen? Amen? We're not talking about being good. We're talking about doing good. This is one of the most dangerous uh, fruit or ingredients that we're talking about today because this is the one that people tend to believe that, that all religions say the same thing and all humanitarian efforts are trying to get at the same thing. What is that? Be good people. That is not what the gospel preaches. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that, listen, you can't be good if you want it to be good. You can certainly do certain things, but we have a moral problem. Scripture says that, listen, from a a youth you have, we have folly that is bound in the heart. We got a problem. It says that our righteousness is that of a filthy rag. We have a problem. It says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? We got a problem. No, this is not talking about being good. If we're going to talk about being good, you have to be made and declared good if your good is going to be good enough against a holy and perfect God that has the perfect standard. It requires perfection because he's just that holy and he's just that good. And so this is exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is God saying that you don't measure up, but I love you and I reach out to you. And I send my only begotten son, that if you will believe in him and understand that Jesus came to live the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin before God. And he died on the cross that we may be reconciled to God and have right relationship with him. Now we approach the father on with someone else's goodness. That's imputed righteousness. And so if you have any questions about that, we want to talk with you today. If you have not come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for that goodness to be made right before God. But today we're talking about doing good. If you are a Christian and if you have been transformed by the gospel, the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit is alive and well, and is saying that, listen, if this is the case, then there are certain things that needs to happen through your life and needs to be evident through your life, and doing good is one of those things. So with all that said, uh, my hope for us today is that we leave this place this evening knowing that, one, we are called to do good and how we can carry out that good in our own personal lives. So with that said, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Keep in mind that as we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we're specifically looking at how Jesus demonstrated the fruit in his own personal ministry. And so that's why we're looking at the book of Matthew regarding this. Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Let's read. Matthew writes, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisee went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now that you would quicken our minds, that you will work in our hearts, that you will not allow us to lead the same way we came in. Lord, we need you. Apart from you, we are nothing, God. We are fragile, Lord. We often feel burnt out. Lord, we need you to animate our spirits. We need you with your glorious light to shine in on the dark places in our lives. Lord, you know what people are going through right now, even as I speak. There's things in their personal life that they may be going through right now. Lord, would you encourage somebody this evening? Would you speak to them? Would you give them a word through your people? Even after the service, Lord, would you do a thing? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to look at three principles of what it means to do good from Jesus' controversial teachings. And this is certainly controversial, what Jesus has to say for us today. The first principle that we're going to look at is that Christian goodness often defies cultural and personal beliefs. Christian goodness often defies cultural and personal beliefs. Let's read the text there. It says that, in verse 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And the man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Okay, what in the world is going on here? You got somebody that's trying to trap Jesus, the Pharisees, the religious authorities of the day. They're trying to trap Jesus because Jesus has been causing some ruckus. Jesus has been shaking some things up. Jesus has been highly controversial with the people, and the Pharisees want to get rid of him. They want to trap him. And when you look at chapter 12 of Matthew, this is the culminating issue. This is the height of, of Jewish legality. The Sabbath is this issue that eventually leads to the crucifixion of Jesus. There are certain um, uh, secret cows that you just don't touch. And they touched, and Jesus touched this one at least in their minds. They're, they're looking at Deuteronomy chapter five and other uh, chapters as well and other verses that says that, listen, God made the world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested from his work. That means that you don't need to work. You don't need to do anything. sabbaton literally means cease. You need to stop everything, shut it down. That's the same thing that's going on right now in Jerusalem. When I went over, they shut the city down. They're looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you need to become like Chick-fil-A, man. And right now, you ain't smelling like Christian chicken. You are working. You're doing things. You're busy right now. You are occupied. And, and right now, I think we got you. And so they try to get Jesus with this ethical dilemma. You know, like these modern ethical dilemmas, if your family is starving, is it okay to steal a loaf of bread? It's like an ethical dilemma. I'm not going to answer that for you. you. You can answer that one. Jesus, that's a joke, y'all. Come on, back with me. There we go. Thank you for that. All right. Jesus, they're trying to get him with this dilemma. So is Jesus the incarnate word, the word of God, the one through whom all things were made? Is he contradicting his own word by working on the Sabbath? Because on Sabbath, you're not supposed to do anything. Walking was prohibited. Selling was prohibited. Picking and and, uh, grain was prohibited, which we see at the top of the verse of uh, chapter 11 and in particular ways. You have two problems here. Two problems presented before us. One, you have tradition being applied over truth. And two, you have principle being applied over people. Let me say that again. You have tradition being applied over truth. That's one problem. Secondly, you have principle being applied over people. Okay, what do I mean by tradition over truth? Jesus knows that these people, the Jewish authorities, they think that they are approaching, they think that they are quoting the word of God, but they are not actually quoting the word of God. The one who wrote the very word of God, he would know that, wouldn't he? They're not, he's not doing this. What happened was the Jews during this century, they created a buffer between people's actions and breaking the law of God. And they created a bunch of traditions in between to make sure that no one would breach the, um, the, uh, the law of God. They had all of these law codes, literally hundreds of them, where they say that, listen, if, in order for you to make sure, in order for us to assure that you will not break the Sabbath, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do to make sure. We're going to put a bunch of red tape up, and Jesus sees right through this, and he's not having it. See, this, this standard is called the Mishnah. This is from rabbinic traditions and interpretations of the passage. And so here are some examples and the most common examples as to what they were to abstain from doing and what they added to the Old Testament. Listen to this. On the Sabbath, you can't, there's no sewing like sewing, weeds and planting, Uh, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, sorting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, whitening it, combing it, dyeing it, spinning it, weaving, making two loops, you can make one, weaving two threads, you can do one, separating two threads, you can do one, not two, tying a knot, don't you untie that knot, sewing two stitches, turning for the purpose of sewing two stitches. I don't know what these people did when they had to sew. It's like, well, somebody somebody got bored out there and they just turned it just so they can sew it up? I don't know. Hunting a deer, slaughtering it, skinning it, salting it, curing its side, scraping it, cutting it, writing two letters. Now listen, this is not talking about writing a friendly letter to a family member. This is literally talking about a Hebrew or a Greek alphabet. You can only write one alphabet. You couldn't write two. But if you try to be slick, just in case, don't be trying to erase it for the purpose of writing two letters. If you're meant to write A and you wrote B, it's too late. You can't write because that's considered breaking the Sabbath. Building, demolishing, extinguishing a, fi- a fire, a flame, lighting a flame. If the roof is on fire, let it be- let it burn. That's where it that comes from. <laughs> Check your sources. Striking a hammer, carrying from one domain to another, etc., etc., etc. Wow. This is literally just 39 of hundreds of law codes that were placed on the Jews to make sure that they were to live up to the standards, the supposed standards of the law. Jesus is saying that, wait a minute, you're trying to trap me on traditions. And you're placing your traditions right over truth and saying that it is truth. No wonder when Jesus starts his earthly ministry, he comes to them just a chapter earlier. In chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, he says, come to me, all you who weary in a burden, and I will give you rest. Didn't it help us understand and look into their situation and see what they need to rest from? All of these standards, all of these burdens, all of these things that they had to live up to, we all feel that sometimes as well, from burdens that people place on us, from trying to do it right, from trying to be perfect Oh, I hear all the time, I can't go to church and I can't give my life to God unless I am perfect, unless I get my situation right. Let me tell you something, you're not going to get your situation right. Come to God as you are and he will make you right. Amen? Jesus says, listen, I want you to come to me and I will give you rest. The rest for your soul that you yearn for, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. People think that Christianity is just this rigid thing that is just a bunch of to-dos. No, he said it. Oh, my yoke is easy, where I am gentle, and I am humble in heart. Do you hear the heart of Jesus here? The way that I am presented in this world, the way that I'm presented through the law, the way that these Pharisees have been representing my father is not correct. When people say that God hates this and God hates that in terms of people, And use it in very demeaning ways. Jesus says that I am gentle. I am humble. I'm also reminded of the words of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is a lion. He was asked the question, is he safe? He says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Oh, a lion is not safe. But he's a lion, a king, and he loves you. You don't have to worry about being unsafe around him. He's humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden it's light. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Jesus has been challenged by a cultural precedent that does not capture the heart of God. And we often do this within ourselves. We do this with cultural mandates, and not just cultural mandates, but personal preferences and personal ideologies. We place things, and we, place, and we, we say things like in the old days, we used to say that, don't dance with a woman because she might get pregnant. Okay, that's old school. That's old Baptist. Uh, that may not be your, be your background. Don't play cards because you may get a gambling addiction. And if you've got gambling issues, don't play cards. But I like spades. I play cards. He says, I, I love this quote by R.C. Sproul. I appreciate my brother for giving me this, this quote. R.C. Sproul says this when he talks about this issue, which is human religion. Not relationship, a human religion, placing a bunch of stuff on God. God plus this means a good relation. God, gospel plus all this extra stuff that God never intended. Sproul says this, when we major in the minors and blow insignificant trifles out of proportion, we imitate the Pharisees. When we make dancing and movies the test of spirituality, we are guilty of substituting a cheap spirituality for a genuine one. We do these things to obscure the deeper issues of righteousness. Anyone can avoid dancing and going to the movies. They require no great effort for moral or moral courage. What is difficult is to control the tongue, to live with integrity, to show forth the fruit of the Spirit. This is an invitation to get religion out of the way. We must stop placing expectations on ourselves that God never placed on us, and we must stop placing expectations that God never intended for on other people either. You know, people sometimes tend to believe that, that, that the answer is you, and they place these expectations on you, and you carry it, and you try to solve it, and you fall down in the quicksand, and wait down because you're trying to do something that you were never meant to do. But the other problem here is the principle over people. They're placing principles over people. In the first century, they they, they believed that, Pharisees and Jews alike, they believed that if you were sick, if you were had a handicap, if you had an ailment, a terminal ailment, it was because of your sin. And if it wasn't your sin directly, it would have been the sins of your parents. They don't know whose sin it was, but whoever sin it was, it was because of sin that they were... In this element. And this is problematic because they weren't, uh, they didn't see people. They didn't properly see people the way God sees people, the way Christ sees people. They didn't see the fact and recognize the fact that God has, has made everyone in his image and they are worthy of dignity. They didn't see the fact that this man came to the synagogue, the place where he was to see God's manifested presence in part. They didn't even see that this man was there that he may receive blessing. That maybe, maybe one day he will receive healing, a word. They didn't see him at all. No, he was what we often hear in our own culture. They saw a social leper, an outcast, a waste of space, a bum, a problem in our society. Those people, that's what they saw when they saw this man. And our culture, even our culture has opinions about these things. That's why we have to do the hard work of making a distinction between culture's opinion versus Christ's opinion on these very important matters, particularly when it comes to the poor, the suffering. We've talked about this before in the Bible, they see four categories of suffering. You have the poor, those in poverty, you have orphans, you have widows, and you have those from other countries coming in as foreigners coming in as refugees. Those are the four categories that God says that you need to make sure that you are about the business of caring about these people. The problem is is that you have a culture that has particular understandings that is contrary to what God's word has to say about it. I fear for the Christian church. I watched something last night that disagreed my spirit. I watched a pastor celebrate a particular party, In his church, celebrating leaders and celebrating people, and whether it's Republican or Democrat, that's not the point. The point is that he was celebrating and making a political agenda a part of the agenda of God. May it never be with this church. Jesus is not asking the opinion of the DNC, the Democratic National Convention. He's not asking the opinion of the RNC the Republican National Convention, about what they feel about these issues as it pertains to the poor and the suffering in this world. He has his own opinion about it, and that's what the Christians are to align themselves with. We are not a part of any particular flag as far as our allegiance lies. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be patriotic. That's not what God's Word is saying. But can you picture any church 2,000 years ago where the Christian church and the Christian body is celebrating in a very particular way Caesar and almost equating him, equating the success of Caesar with their own success? This is a serious, serious issue. A very important issue that I fear that we continue to fall victim to. They're different Different, different entities. And we have to make sure that we are in the practice of getting our philosophical penses, our cultural codes, our personal preferences out of the way in order for God to speak through and show people that He loves them through your word and through your acts. Y'all, we are salt of the world. We are different. We defy cultural norms especially when it come to, comes to these issues. This is the richest country in the world. Nobody should be poor. Why do they need my food? There's soup kitchens, soup kitchens all over the place. I hope that we hear something more about that. That will convict us and challenge us if we are there, and I've certainly been there. But what does it mean to be Christian good, or, uh, to practice Christian goodness. Let's read verse 11. Christian goodness defined. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other the Pharisees went out and conspired against him on how to destroy him. Jesus reasons with them. I, I can see Jesus, because you can see Jesus' heart through this conversation. He reasons with them. He says, okay, you tried to trap me, but let me, let's talk sensibly here. Let me ask you a question. Which one of you, if your sheep were to fall into this ditch, you just leave it there from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, you just leave it there. Which one of you actually do that? I'm, I'm waiting for an answer. I can picture them just looking at Jesus. You're just gonna let the thing just be out there, bad, 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 all night long, all day long, three, hour period. The answer to the question is, is, is intended. I mean, it's um, implied. They know what the answer is. Jesus knows what the answer is. No, they're not going to do that. Why? Because that's personal. It's my stuff. It's affecting me and my economy and my money and my well-being. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Well, you are contradicting yourself. By your own standards, you're contradicting yourself. Jesus says that. Listen, you would do this for an animal. Isn't a man more valuable than an animal? Isn't a human more valuable than an animal? Isn't that a a question that we are asking ourselves every day in this culture? Isn't a human more valuable than an animal? I'm stepping on somebody's toes. (laughs) Jesus says, of course they're more valuable than an animal. But these people and their mindsets, oh, I'm not pointing all the blame on them. I have to point the blame on me and you as well. There's different ways in which we're challenged with this, that we're faced with this, where we're tempted to do the same types of things and communicate the same type of lack of respect for human life. He says human, unhuman, a human is worth more than this. You can see the heart of Jesus. Christian goodness is simply meeting the needs of others. Having enough compassion and mercy to meet the needs of others. This is the tangible part. This is the part that has texture. Meet the needs of others. When you see the need and you're able to do it, meet that need. We can see this in all types of ways. You can see this in feeding the hungry, visiting with the widow, befriending the friendless, healing the sick, helping someone become delivered from sin bondage. Sitting with the lonely, standing in the gap in prayer and presence for the suffering, helping to steward God's creation, helping someone move, etc., etc., etc. There are enough issues here where we got some needs in this house. I have some needs in my life. Let me tell you this, if I can just be real in this place today, the most difficult season of my life today was the last two weeks of my life the last two weeks of my life, having to go back and forth up and down the road in St. Louis, Missouri, because of a death in my family, a murder in my family on one hand, and the person that committed the murder was also a part of my family, and visiting the jail on the other hand. Oh, if you think that pastors are just big and bad and just super spiritual, you're mistaken. We are fragile. We need Jesus just as much as you need Jesus the family said, James, I need you to do the funeral. I'm the, one of the only Christians in my entire family. Oh, I get the privilege of doing all of the funerals. said, so this is too heavy for me to carry alone. I have needs right now. I need somebody with some compassion and with some mercy. I need to call out to other friends and Christians, hey, brother, pastor, I can't do this alone. I need you to go with me. I need you to help me to carry this and bury this family member. I need you to be praying for me. Christians all across this city and all across this church were praying for me and lifting me up. It came in the form God's goodness through people came in the form of people sending flowers and praying for us constantly. And a Christian ball saying that, listen, do whatever you need to do, James. This is what we're talking about, meeting the needs of people and standing in the gap where they need you. This is the tangibility of the gospel. This is where we experience and feel the gospel. We're reminded of what goodness is even more when we look at the prophet Micah and see what Micah has to say in chapter 6, verse 8, regarding goodness. Micah says that, and what does the Lord require of you? I think I missed one. Sorry about that. Verse 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good? He showed you what is good. If I miss this place one more time. And what does the Lord require of you? Thank you, sis. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what goodness is. To love Mercy. Listen, there are certain gifts that the Lord gives where we have an extra amount of faith to do greater things with things like mercy. But there's no such thing as simply a mercy person. We are all mercy people. Josh Thomas is not alone in his ministry of mercy ministry. He has a whole church of people, 2,000 people that attend this church. Every Sunday, you are called mercy ministers as well. Oh, you're called to the ministry of mercy and to communicate God's love for people. That's goodness. This is what Jesus exemplifies when he heals this man, when he sees this man, when he sees something more than just a problem and culture. Someone just simply taking up space. He sees a man that needs healing. He demonstrates this, and he, this is the example he gives. The example that he gives to us is that, listen, I want you to do likewise. I want you to go and do good work throughout the world. He envisions a church that is dispatched with boots, soldier boots, on the ground, doing good works all over the place. That's what our Lord sees here. I'm reminded of this question of relevancy. I'll, I'll have to think about this. How will the church remain relevant? The church cannot become and stay relevant in a cultural climate that continues to go against Christians, become more hostile to Christians. We don't remain more relevant simply by uh, becoming more inclusive. No, that's very dangerous. We don't water down the gospel and, uh, and commit high treason against God and his truths, and watered down what God says in his word in order for people to come in. No, that's not how we remain more relevant. The way we remain relevant is the same way we remain relevant for the last 2,000 years, so as much as it mattered. I'm reminded of that when I read the words of Emperor Julian, a a Roman emperor. He has some things to say about Christians that were certainly relevant. And the way you do that is through good works, good works, good works. That's why God in His Word over and over says that, listen, do good works that people may glorify your Father in heaven as a result of your good works. Listen to what this Roman non Christian emperor had to say. What you got to say, Julian? He says, why do we not observe that, there, that it is there? benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead and the pretended holiness, the tongue in cheek there, of their lives that have done most to increase atheism. What is he talking about? This is a a Greek term, actually. It, It means that people are more and more turning away from believing in the pagan gods and now they're believing in Christian God and so they're deemed as atheists according to the Greek and Roman mind. For it is disgraceful, that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. they even taking care of our own. They're making us look bad. He says, all men see that our people lack aid from us. They see that we are not stepping up to the plate. He says, teach those of the Hellenic or the Greek faith to contribute to public service of this sort. He said that we got some things to learn from the Christians. Isn't it ironic that this is now the exact opposite in our culture? We say that it's the responsibility of the government, and I am not getting any particular type of uh, of political philosophy debate. What I'm just talking about, what scripture has to say about how we are to talk about, take care of the four most vulnerable in this world very ironic that we say that it is the state's responsibility to take care of the poor. Listen, you don't reject that. The government wants to step in. But listen, we don't abdicate our responsibility. We step in. And we do this. You want to see a transformed city. You want to see a relevant church. Get the boots on, strap on, and get out there and continue to do good work. Oh, the city will take notice of it, and that's why I love the reputation that this church has in this city. As a city, as a church that is easily mobilized to do some stuff for God's glory. So I'm gonna end with some application here. What are we called to do in very particular ways here? Ephesians chapter two. I want to take your bring your attention to what Paul has to say in chapter two, verse eight. Ephesians, uh, Paul says this: For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. You didn't save yourself. God saves you. God chose you. God brought you under his fold. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. It's so that you won't be able to brag about it. No, you can only praise God for what he has done, his sweet mercies. Morning by morning, we see his mercies anew. Verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good Works which God prepared in advanced for us to do. Corporately and individually, every Christian has been set aside by God to do good works. He has particular works that he has set out for you to do that we are to simply walk in. The destiny is already before us. There is already things that God has for us to do, like domino effect. What are those things that God has given you passion to do in order that you may fulfill what he has set aside for you to do? We see this over and over again from this church in particular. It starts with passion meeting compassion. In order to do that, you have to be able to see with the eyes of Christ. But when you put those things together, you have people that are launched out to do good work. You have, it starts with a person having a broken heart for those that are caught up in the sex industry. And when passion meets compassion, you have Scarlet Hope and Scarlet Bakery in an effort to mobilize the church to help to go and meet the needs of people coming and struggling in that industry. It starts with a person looking at the Christian non-for-profits across Louisville and seeing that they need help doing what they're doing and inviting people from all over the country to come to provide relief to social uh, efforts. That's LTN and Jesse Eubanks and what the Lord has done through them. It starts with a passion for seeing people and, and getting tired of seeing people struggle and get struggle in poverty and generational poverty in person after person and mother after mother and son after son go around in the same type of, type of cycle and say that, hey, I want to pre- create some pathways for that person to flourish and to get to a human flourishing. That's how you birth seed to oaks. It starts with someone having heart for those without a voice, the unborn. It starts with those who have a broken heart for refugees when they come into this country and they need people and they feel lonely. I'm not talking about some political stuff. I'm talking about God's word and having a heart for people. It starts with having a broken heart. And seeing people. What breaks your heart? And those are formal ways that you can get involved with things by volunteering and doing your own thing and starting your own thing. And there's also um, um, non-formal ways to do it. But let me just say this. There is a tendency that when we talk about doing work and doing things, there's a tendency for us to say that, listen, I am tired. I am drained. I don't want to do anything else. I know because why? Because we, you, like me, I can read your mind, uh, metaphorically speaking. If you're anything like me, you already if you have anything that looks anything uh, uh, remotely close to an American schedule, you're busy. You're busy and you're burning the candle at both ends. You're like, man, I don't have any room for anything else in my life. I see people breaking out in cold sweats right now. You want me to add more to my schedule? No, not necessarily. But I do want to do something that Jesus did. He deconstructed our priorities, our understandings. He reconstructed and built it back up with his truth in order that we may be reoriented to what our priorities ought to be. We're reminded of what our priorities are and what that means in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Earlier, Matthew says that uh, Jesus says that, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. You want to look at what you value? Does James want to look at what he values? Just look at my calendar and look at the stuff that I prioritize. My kid got this going on right here. I got to take them right there. I got to do this. I got to do that. Listen, let me remind you, Christian, that we war not against flesh and blood. We war against principalities. Has it ever dawned on you that maybe it is the spirit of this age and it is the enemy that wants to keep your schedule busy in order to keep you away from the stuff that God has called you to? And this is often what keeps us feeling so drained out and disconnected from our faith, returning back to the same question. I don't know if this really works. I don't know if I'm really Christian. I don't know if this is really worth it. Why? Because we are disconnected from our faith in the thing that is to give our faith passion and fire. See, we think this is going to drain us. No, God is saying that it will give you passion. It will give you fire because you can meet me there and I will be with you. You're not carrying it by yourself. I'm carrying it with you. If I spend six months away from my wife or living in the same house but not doing the thing that a married couple ought to do and being and dating my wife and caring for my wife and giving her eye contact and giving her my time, I should not be surprised that at the end of that six months that we are at the brink of divorce. Well, we spend so much time in self-protection mode and trying to protect ourselves from getting involved in what God has called us to and set us aside for, we should not be surprised when we feel disconnected from faith. God has called you, he's called all of us to do good works. Now listen, there is wisdom that has to be played out in doing good works. One thing that my wife does, I can't take the credit for, she teaches our children on how to give to the poor and to give to those who need it most when we are driving. I, I'm going to tell this quick story. As I sit down here, preacher has three four closings. You don't, you don't know that. As I said, this is the last one right here. As, 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 I, as I'm in my, my car... My wife always says, you know, give poor people. She keeps food in the car so when she gets a stoplight, she can pass the food out of the car and meet a need. You know, a lot of people say that, well, they're doing drugs. Well, they still got to eat. You don't know why they're doing drugs. It doesn't make it right. But we're talking about an addiction. Feed them. I've seen too many people broken, and God breaks them and frees them from addiction. But to my embarrassment, I'll share with you, uh, a couple weeks ago I was sitting at a stoplight and my daughter, her sweet self said, Daddy, Daddy, here's my apple. Here's my apple. Give it to the poor person right here. Uh, Yeah. It takes some some courage. It takes some, you know, I don't like awkward moments a lot. You know what I mean? You know, I didn't want the person to believe that I'm trying to put them down or anything like that, whatever, I look back, no, that's your apple. You eat that apple. I gave you that apple. That apple, for me, I gave it to you. Eat your apple. Let's go. And I drove off and I felt so convicted. I can learn a lot from my daughter. And we can learn a lot from that little girl too. See, this is not an invitation to add something to an already hectic schedule. This is an invitation to replace something in an already hectic schedule. This is an invitation to make room and to put things and make priorities and make uh, make plans for meeting the needs of others like the poor that sit on the corner. Maybe it means that you're putting food in your car make sure you're able to hand something out when you can. I don't know what this means for you. I can't tell you that. It's just between you and the Holy Spirit and how God leads you. I know that you need wisdom when it comes to it. I know that people will try to take advantage of you when it comes to doing good deeds. They will. And sometimes you will be burned. God calls you to use wisdom. And what also I I know is what James tells us in chapter 4 and 17. James says that if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I pray that we stay committed to doing good works, even more so, at this church. We don't do good because because we're trying to earn the favor of God. No, you don't need to do that. You're you're, you're good. I'm good. We're, We're justified before God when we place our trust and faith in God's means for salvation, which is Jesus Christ himself. We do good because God is good to us. And because we have the Holy Spirit and we bear fruit of goodness in our lives. We're reminded of God's goodness for us every week that we meet. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And said that this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat it. Likewise, Jesus took the cup and lifted it and said that this is my blood, the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Our invitation right now is to come and sup on the mercies and goodness of God, knowing that we don't do this to earn his favor, but knowing that we do this because he was so good to us. The wine is marked by twine. The juice is not. There will be gluten-free options to my left. To your right. If you're a Christian, we ask that you, excuse me, if you're not a Christian, we ask that you uh, abstain from this meal. This is for Christians particularly, but we want to talk with you. If you're still on the fence, we want to talk with you, and we offer you fellowship if that's you in this room. I would love to talk to you after service. Let's pray.